and a happy Thursday. Happy leap year to one and all. This is the special 2024 leap year episode of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I'd like to thank you all for joining me on this Thursday, late afternoon, early evening. If you're checking out the leap year episode on the YouTube channel, enjoying the content, haven't done so already, please click like, subscribe, comment, turn on those notifications. Or if you're checking this episode out on the audio platforms such as Spotify or iTunes, same general rule applies. Click like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. So in this very special leap year episode, because we only have a leap year once every four years, I'd like to shine a light on an actor who unfortunately passed when he was still in his 60s. Someone that, even if you didn't know his name, certainly the younger generation, they might know the face, they're less likely to know the name. Dennis Farina, who was a Chicago police officer who did theater work in Chicago, who just had such a presence on screen. He had a, a look. And Michael Mann, a phenomenal filmmaker, he just did the Ferrari movie. He did Keith with Pacino and De Niro. He did Ali with Will Smith. He did Thief a million years ago with James Caan. Um, Last of the Mohicans with Daniel Day-Lewis. Another movie, another extraordinary Daniel Day-Lewis performance. This is a guy with enormous talent. The Insider with Russell Crowe and Al Pacino. His movies are never not high quality. And in 1986, after working with Dennis Farina on the TV show, which is very well-regarded and well-remembered 80s TV show called Crime Story, in which Dennis Farina played a police officer, kind of uh, springboarding from his own professional life, spending many years as a Chicago cop, he went from Crime Story to starring in Michael Mann's adaptation of Thomas Harris's early 1980s huge runaway best-selling and critically lauded novel, Red Dragon, the movie version of which was called Manhunt. And in that film, which starred William Peterson as the lead, not Clary Starling, but uh, an FBI kind of profiler with seeming extrasensory abilities named Will Graham, and um, Dennis Marina plays Jack Crawford, it's the same character, the same Jack Crawford that Scott Glenn famously plays in Silence of the Lambs, 1991. Best picture, best director, best screenplay, best actor, best actress. And then in the 2002 kind of reboot of Red Dragon slash Manhunter, which was just called Red Dragon, you had Edward Norton taking over for William Peterson in the Will Graham role. And you actually had Harvey Keitel playing Jack Crawford. So Jack Crawford, cinematic incarnations of Jack Crawford, Dennis Farina in 1986, Scott Glenn in 1991, and Harvey Keitel in 2002. But Dennis Farina was a leap year baby, and it's almost absurd, but when he passed in 2013, he passed from cancer, you know, fuck you cancer. I always found this to be just a kind of crazy concept that if you go by the letter of when your birthday is, Dennis Farina was 69 years old, if we go the chronology of 365 days a year, but he only celebrated 17 actual birthdays of 
February 29th. Today, he would have been 80. I like his performance in Manhunt, but I'm going to spotlight two other films in which he's so good that certainly in one of them, I'm a little surprised that he didn't get even more acclaim as far as potential awards nominations. And not long after Manhunter, which was unfortunately not really a box office hit, I don't think it even made back its production cost. It's a movie that was beautifully cast. William Peterson was very young. That's the guy he was on. I think he was on the original CSI from like 2003 era. Uh, but he was very young. He was already going gray, which suited his character, who was supposed to be very young and something of a genius, but already burned out and mentally not quite uh, <laughs> driving with a full tank, as they say. He's a little bit kind of traumatized from events that have already taken place. Manhunter was not a big hit, despite the cast, despite the fact that you had uh, Tom Noonan, a phenomenal actor, as the bad guy. Like the Buffalo Bill of that story is called the Tooth Bear. You had a young Joan Allen in a key role, and as we say, William Peterson in the lead, and Dennis Farina, very strong. It's not even so much the acting. It's, it's the way that he's able to act with his face, the way that he's able to give us different angles, because he's a very, he had a very interesting face. He could be intimidating, he could be friendly, but he was never less than interesting. So when Martin Brest, terrific filmmaker, he's kind of had an up and down career, but a very talented filmmaker. He later did Scent of a Woman, which won, you know, Big Al, AKA Pacino, his only best actor, Oscar. Um, as Martin Brest was preparing to make what I believe is the single best buddy film ever made, Better than Lethal Weapon, better than Beverly Hills Cop, better than 48 Hours, better than Rush Hour. The best buddy film ever made, Midnight Run. Which is basically a story of a bounty hunter, an ex-cop who ran from Chicago, same Chicago that Dennis Farina was once a police detective, these kinds of little quirky bits of information in a movie are not always accidental or not random. Why were you so unpopular with the Chicago Police Department? De Niro plays a former Chicago police officer who is now a bounty hunter or skip tracer, if you prefer. Clint Eastwood in the following year, Pink Cadillac, plays the same character, essentially, a guy who his job it is to stop people from jumping bail. Skip tracer, bounty hunter, De Niro is a former Chicago police officer who did not leave the force on good terms. We realized and we learned that there was a mob boss in Chicago that had bought and paid for the entire police department, except Bobby D's character, Jack Walsh, who would not go on the dole. Even though there was nothing in particular expected of him if he took an extra, you know, presumably a few hundred a week, I, they don't really, I don't think they explain the amount. De Niro basically refused to go on the tape, wanted to bust the guy, and things didn't go the way that they planned, and they let him leave without doing anything to him. But the understanding was, don't ever come back to Chicago. Dennis Farina plays that fearsome mob boss that ran a very tough and rugged and capable Jack Walsh, played by Robert De Niro, 
out of Chicago. And it wouldn't be a movie if the events of the story, which don't immediately have anything to do with De Niro, De Niro's character, but we learn that they do, because the man that Bobby D has to transport, who jumped bail, another extraordinary actor who has passed, Charles Grodin, screwed over the crime boss, stole millions from the crime boss, millions of the crime boss's ill-gotten, criminal, corrupt gains, and he donated it to charity. So he is a white-collar criminal, a likable criminal, but we know that Dennis Green as Jimmy Serrano is going to try to bump off Broden's character, Jonathan Mardukas, or the Duke, if you prefer. And De Niro is between the actual rock and a hard place, because, yes, he wants, he's going to get $100,000, a lot of money today, even more money, 36, 37 years ago. He needs to deposit the guy back, but it's gnawing at his conscience. He understands, if I turn this guy into my bail bondsman in about 30 minutes, not only is he going to be dead, but his wife, who has nothing to do with this, they're going to kill her too. And so the quandary, De Niro's character, he needs the money for himself, for his ex-wife, who he still clearly loves, his daughter, who he doesn't have a relationship with. He wants to open a nice little coffee shop, as he puts it. But lurking throughout the movie is Dennis Marina as this terrifying crime boss named Jimmy Serrano. Even the name is scary. You know, we remember Major League the following year, Pedro Serrano. Joe Boo, I say, fuck you, Joe Boo. No relation. But Farina's character occupies the margins of the movie, scheming, plotting. And we know there is not the slightest bit of redemptive value to this character. He was a scumbag in the years before the movie started, and if anything, he's even worse as we meet him. And he dispatches his henchmen to try to take care of Mr. De Niro and Charles Grodin. And the movie develops as this really kind of warm-hearted, despite so much violence and attempted assassinations and murder and crazy shit that goes on between the bounty hunters, John Ashton, those fucking riot, he, he was in Beverly Hills Cop, which Mark Gress, the same filmmaker, also made. He was one of the guys, along with Judge Reinhold, who works with Eddie Murphy's Axel Foley in the original Beverly Hills Cop. And there's amazing scenes between De Niro and John Ashton's character, Marvin Dorfler, who were kind of friends, but the events of this story are putting them in opposition because both guys want to take back the Duke to the bail bondsman and collect whatever amount of money it's going to be. Nobody except De Niro has all of the narrative information that I just gave you. Some people have parts, and other characters have the wrong information. But we know that this movie is going to build to some kind of a showdown where De Niro would already won you know, two acting Oscars at that point. He had won a Best Actor Award, and he won Supporting Actor for Godfather Part Two. You know there's going to be some kind of a showdown between De Niro's Jack Walsh and Dennis Farina's Jimmy Serrano. And Dennis Farina is, of course, a much bigger man than De Niro. And they have this unbelievable stare-down and Las Vegas McCarran Airport. And the movie essentially climaxes at McCarran Airport, where everyone from the cops to the feds to organized crime, everyone converges in the same place at the same time. And it's one of those incredible scenes where if you ever wanted to understand De Niro and why and how De Niro became De Niro and what he's able to do in 
in certain scenes that other actors really don't and can't. The scene that he shares with Dennis Farina, and Dennis Farina challenges him and tests him, and he raises his game too. He is ice cold, but so is Bobby D. And it's the sort of moment where they're having conversation about nothing in particular, that out of context, it's just two guys bullshit in an airport. But we know Serrano is not only going to kill Bobby D, his character Jack Walsh, he's going to kill Charles Grodin's Jonathan Mardukas, and then he's going to find his wife and he's going to kill her too, because he's already told the Duke to his face, you're going to die, your wife is going to die, Walsh is going to die. That's what's happening tonight. I just wanted you to know that. And then he slaps him across the face. You know, a la Will Smith, Chris Rock, that kind of slap. Not to hurt him, but just let him know, I own you, motherfucker. So the moment between Dennis Farina and Robert De Niro, where they stop playing nice, and Farina's character is almost trying to go De Niro into making a mistake, not realizing that Bobby D is a couple of steps ahead of him. We know that De Niro is a little bit ahead of uh, Farina in this scene. The way that it plays out, the threats lob back and forth, the thinly veiled contempt that each man has for the other. Until the moment, that would spoiler, no spoilers, until the moment that the threat is neutralized, it's hard to believe that De Niro and or Charles Grove are going to survive, that either one is going to survive this terrifying character of Jimmy Serrano. And when the movie ends, we remember the kind of kinship. You can't really call it a friendship. There's an amazing scene in the movie between De Niro and Grote, and a lot of their dialogue was ad-lib. De Niro was a guy who ne not, wasn't necessarily known for stretching and ad-libbing, but Grote was a master at it. And he brought out the best in De Niro in his way, getting him to loosen up. And they, they even joked about it in some of the behind the scenes. Um, but Grote's character, the connection, and this one amazing, wonderful scene where the guys really are starting to bond after spending the first hour fucking hating each other's guts. And it looks like it's building to this heartwarming moment where, you know, we could have been friends. And Grodin says, I really believe that under different circumstances, you and I probably still would have hated each other. And the laughter, De Niro's laugh almost feels like that line was ad-lib, that it was supposed to be, we could have been friends. But Grodin, in the moment, made an acting decision, turned it around, and De Niro fucking cracks up. And then Grodin cracks up. And it's just, it's a phenomenal scene. We remember and we think of the character arc, where De Niro starts that film, where he goes, where Grodin starts the film, and where he ends up. We remember the strength of Dennis Farina's performance and how good he is, how scary he is. Everyone in the movie is afraid of this guy, except De Niro's Jack Walsh, who, as I said, despite being a smaller person, he's dealing with henchmen, he's dealing with so many different kinds of people that want his head on a platter, and his attitude basically is, hey, fuck you, I'm right here, come get some, in the immortal words of Steven Seagal, come on, come get some. I'll put both hands behind my back, come on, come get some. It is unfortunate the Academy did not see fit in the year of 1988 to nominate Dennis Farina for Supporting Actor for Midnight Run. 
And I don't know offhand who was nominated that year. Uh, you know, it was the year of Rain Man, Mississippi Burning. I, I want to say Willem Dafoe was nominated for Supporting Actor for Mississippi Burning. I don't know who won the award. Uh, and I certainly don't want to relitigate those Oscars. I'm only spotlighting the fact that his performance was Oscar and is Oscar worthy. And I defy anybody. And it's amazing. Netflix had Midnight Run for like a year and a half. And I'm telling you this, no exaggeration. My dear old dad, my father, Alan Philip Cohen, may he rest in peace. I think that my father watched that movie more than any other movie, period. He used, he loved that movie so much. He loved the characters. He used to quote Jimmy Serrano's, have a sandwich, Sidney, have a sandwich and a cream. Shut up, Sidney, shut your fucking mouth. He's a quote machine in this movie, in a vicious way, in a nasty crime boss way, but a quote machine nevertheless. The Academy did not see fit to honor him, maybe because it's just a buddy film. With It's kind of a comedic buddy film, even with a character as serious as this. It shouldn't work, but it works because of performances like his. Philip Baker Hall, another amazing old actor, he's in it in a good role. And as we say, De Niro and Charles Grote is so good in this movie. He's so good. Everybody brings their A game in Midnight Run. Uh, Dennis Marina, in later years, uh, was on Law and Order. Many of you may have seen him on Law and Order, um, and he did he did a lot of TV. He did a kind of a goofy movie with Bette Midler um, called That Old Feeling, which got a big buildup, and there was an idea that you know this is going to be Bette. She's, Bette had just had a kind of a comeback with First Wives Club, and Bette Midler is somebody who's always may have been difficult to work with at times, but nobody ever questioned her talent, and her dedication, and her commitment. You know, and when the movie For the Boys in 91, which was another film of hers that got a huge kind of Oscar buildup with James Caan, and when it just didn't, it didn't connect, she was devastated. But the movie That Old Feeling, Bette Midler and Dennis Marina play like an old, not old, an older divorced couple whose, uh, I think their son is getting married. And I mean, they were fucking hilarious together. Like they hate each other's guts even as they're having sex for the first time in 20 years, like that kind of thing. Um, the movie didn't really, it didn't really connect. And then, as we say, Dennis Farina did some TV, but his one other masterful film performance, playing a character in the ballpark of what he does in Midnight Run, but in a more comedic vein, it would be one of my favorite films from the 90s that did not win any Oscars and somehow didn't get nominated for any Oscars, at least none that I know of, and that would be Barry Sonnenfeld's 1995 adaptation of Elmore Leonard's apparently spectacular comedy-slash-crime novel, Get Short. It features, in addition to Dennis Farina, playing a kind of more comical version of Jimmy Serrano, uh, what I believe to be John Travolta's finest film performance, better than what he did in Pulp Fiction, and certainly greater acting than what he showed in even Saturday Night Fever and some of his other blowout, terrific performances. It Get Shorty, Dennis Farina plays a character called, his name is Ray Barboni, and he, he is very high up in the Miami crime world, or underworld, or whatever you want to call it. And John Travolta, who plays uh, Chili Palmer, another great name, John Travolta's character doesn't seem to have a problem with Ray Barboni, but Ray Barboni has a problem with Travolta's character. And the two guys have a number of scenes that are just gold. 
They're just gold. Again, another moment where a big actor, in this case Travolta, is challenged within scenes by another actor who is formidable, in this case, Dennis Farina, and each guy gives it their best. So the character that Farina plays, Ray Barboni, or as everyone in the movie calls him, Ray Bones, is a very dangerous guy. He's not a stone-cold killer, assassin type of a personality, as was Jimmy Serrano in Midnight Run. There is more of a comedic bent, but you sleep on the character a little bit because he is presented as somebody who Travolta keeps getting the better of. And we should take that to mean that he is not a dangerous motherfucker in his own right. Just that Travolta is even more dangerous and more common. The character that Travolta plays seems to always have the answer. Somebody that's twice his size, he can outfight him. He can outsmart him. You fuck with him, he figures out a way to put it right back on you, plus interest. And there's an incredible scene early in the movie where Ray Barboni, Dennis Farina, means to kill John Travolta's character. And Travolta, we barely see him use a gun in this movie, but he's such a perfect shot. He puts a shot that essentially scrapes the top of Dennis Farina's forehead and fucks up the front of his hair. And that's like a big moment early in the movie. And then Dennis Farina walks around the rest of the movie with a, like, like his head, his, his nose is it's three times the size, his head's fucked up, and he's blaming Travolta. But the idea is that his people are telling him, stop fucking around with him. Stop screwing around with Chili Pomp. And his character of Ray Bones appears to be outside the main thrust of the plot. But unfortunately for Ray Bones, he's not as smart as he thinks he is. And there is this big setup for huge chunks of the movie. It's a side plot that ends up being more important as the story unfolds. There's a shit ton of illegally gotten, somewhat, we think it's stolen money. It's money that the feds are looking at in a locker at LAX. I think it's at LAX. And somehow, John Travolta figures out a way to get Ray Bones to be the guy who is going to open this locker. And the movie builds to this kind of a, now a comical moment where Dennis Farina, all swagger, is not calculating in his head, it can't be this easy. This guy doesn't like me. He's not going to help me out. He's, he's not going to do what he just... So there is a movie within the movie ethos here. The film is a film about the ridiculousness of the movie business, where John Travolta's character is a loan shark. He works for the top people in the Miami mob. Ray Bones wants to ascend to the top. And there's all this kind of back and forth of who works for who, you work for me. And John Travolta's character, being a loan shark, goes to LA to follow a guy who owes money to his family, his, his, the crime family. And, and he gets involved in the movie business. And the irony is, the movie business to him is even more cutthroat than being in a fucking mob. And there's a scene where he actually says out loud, man, the movie business is rough. I got to get back to Lone Shark and to take a rest. So without spoilers, the movie ends with this absurd scene set at Los Angeles County Airport. And all of a sudden, Dennis Farina is not Ray Barboni or Ray Bones anymore. An actor I mentioned earlier who played the same character in a different adaptation 
of Red Dragon, called Red Dragon, Harvey Keitel suddenly shows up as Ray Bones. It's a movie within a movie within a movie, and John Travolta and Gene Hackman, who also is spectacular in the film as a kind of schlock horror producer, or, you know, a, a B-movie producing, and Harry Zim, a great name, Harry Zim. He and Travolta and Rene Russo as the female lead are producing a film with Danny DeVito, the shorty of the title. And it is a great film. I've been on IMDb, and somehow the IMDb ranking for Get Shorty is only 6.9. It's fucking idiotic. I don't know who's stuffing the ballot boxes to keep the number that low, but I've never met anyone who has seen Get Shorty and didn't say, holy shit, Jared, what a great movie. It has action. It has comedy. The performances are terrific. Everybody looks great on screen. It's beautifully shot. Dennis Farina, as Ray Barboni, has a scene with Gene Hackman that, again, I won't spoil, but it is unbelievable. Where Hackman is taking cues, has taken cues from John Travolta in terms of how to read people and how to deal with people, and he tries it on Dennis Farina's Ray Bones, and it doesn't go exactly the way he expected it to. Everyone in the movie is terrific, and Dennis Farina is as good as anyone in the movie. He is a big part of the reason why the film is so successful. And we walk out of the theater, even though there's been death, there's been a rampant crime, some drug use, some adultery. But we walk out of the theater. I remember my father and I, we saw it at the movies, at, excuse me, at Broadway Mall Hicksville when that theater had just opened in 95. And we walked out of that theater smiling and laughing. And almost everybody, it was a packed house. It was actually the night it opened on a Friday. Everybody seemed to really enjoy that movie. And John Travolta did win the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical. And I remember being super excited because I believe JT is going to get an Oscar nomination. I, I'm a huge Pulp Fiction fan. But if you ask me which is a better John Travolta performance, it's not even close. He doesn't really do anything that great with the character of Vincent Vega. The character is brilliantly written by Quentin Tarantino, sure. But you want to see Travolta do some real intense and master class, not only in film acting, but how to be a movie star? John Travolta in Get Shorty, that is an acting master class. How to hide your cards, how to show your cards, how to maintain the camera, how to control your space, how to be a movie star. John Travolta in Get Shorty. And his scenes with a young James Gandolfini, years before The Sopranos, incredible. His scenes with Dennis Farina, every scene he's in there with Dennis Farina is a fucking scream. You never know what's going to happen. Somebody could get shot, or somebody could not get shot. Or maybe he'll just trick the guy into doing something stupid because he doesn't think that I'm as smart as I am. But Dennis Farina, star of movies, great actor, star of TV shows, such as Law & Order, unfortunately passed in 2013, 69 years old chronologically, having celebrated just 17 birthdays because he was a leap year baby. And I don't really remember, I know I had to have met, we've all at some point met leap year babies because anyone, I have a cousin who was born February 28th, that's one day away, but he wasn't born on March 1st in a non-leap year year. But Dennis Marina, 
the leap year baby, ex-cop, theater star, worked with guys like Joe Montaigne. I believe he worked with David Mamet as well, you know, uh, in, the, in the early 80s in Chicago. Terrific film actor. I would say a great film actor. So many memorable roles and performances over time. He was in the movie Snatch, the guy Ritchie with Brad Pitt, another one to just throw a name out there for you. And um, super talented, never took a movie off. Even in that goofy, that old feeling with Bette Midler, he's bringing it. And you can see the gears turning, and he's trying to make the, make the movie work. It just doesn't. It doesn't do what they expected. They were hoping for a rollicking, screwball, romantic comedy kind of thing. The film just—he's the—he's the best thing about him. He's even better than Bette Midler, who's always awesome. But with that, that brings to a close the 2024 leap year episode of the Confessions of a Not So Dangerous Mind uh, podcast, spotlighting. The terrific Dennis Farina, may he rest in peace, gone almost 11 years now. But if you've caught up with this episode on the YouTube channel, haven't done so already, please click like, subscribe, flip on those notifications. Or if you checked it out in the car, at the gym, or anywhere on one of the audio platforms such as Spotify or iTunes, the same general rule applies. Click like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. I'll be back with an actual numbered episode real, real soon. Till then, 